You're listening to Savage Wonder, a podcast about warriors and artists. This show is a long-form one-on-one conversation with a veteran or, in this week's case, the immediate family member of a veteran in the arts. This show is produced by the Veterans Repertory Theater, which is a tax-exempt nonprofit, 501c3, and is dedicated to providing a platform for veterans to create compelling live theater and events in order to enhance, enliven, and invigorate American theater and the live performance arts. My guest this week, as you may have been able to glean from what I just said a second ago, uh, was not a veteran, but as you know, at Vet Rep, we also cater to immediate family members of veterans, and lucky for us, Fred Graver is exactly that. Um, Fred has been a friend of ours from the beginning, just about. Uh, when we were introduced, and he's just always been gracious with advice and, um, you know, uh, just a really worthwhile sounding board and offering really valuable point of view based on an awful lot of experience. And, uh, you know, lucky for me, he's he's the son of a World War II veteran, which we will talk about at length. It is um, not your average World War II veteran story um, that he has to tell, but I won't spoil that just yet um fred you know has done a million things i mean he worked you know for letterman he wrote for letterman he wrote for national lampoon he wrote for john stewart he was a co-producer on cheers he wrote for in living color like his his comedy bona fides are off the charts and then you know he made the jump into the network executive ranks where he worked at disney mtv vh1 travel channel twitter you know so he's just seen an awful lot um, from a lot of different angles in showbiz. So that, you know, is always a welcome perspective. And in fact, that's what led us to ask him to be the chief judge of our latest playwriting competition, the competition that ended on July 3rd of 2022. And uh, Fred has been cat herding judges since then and making executive decisions and all the rest of it ever since. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that on the episode. We won't give spoilers out about who won or who didn't in the episode. And I can't even say anything about it yet because we're recording this before we've made the official announcements. And why paint ourselves into a corner? So once we make the official announcements and once I record episodes after that, well, I'll have tons of stuff to say about who won. And they'll be on the show. They'll get their own episode and all the rest of that. Anyway, so we won't get into that. There's something else that Fred has done, and we actually talk about it a lot in the episode, uh, Fred's involvement with the Writers Guild Initiative, which is really a great initiative where they do workshops and mentoring uh, to various degrees of uh, of different underserved populations. And, and it started with an emphasis on veterans, and it continues to front-load veterans as, as a target group. And uh, Fred has been part of that from the beginning, and he'll talk a little bit about that in the episode. But all that to say, you know, Fred was somebody that I wanted to bring on the show for multiple, multiple reasons, Um, not just the self-serving ones that he was our chief judge for the playwriting competition. Um, I don't think there's a ton else you need to know to fully appreciate this episode. Um, Oh, I guess I should say Fred was pushed for time. Um because I had to reschedule this episode uh, a couple times. And, uh, and of course it went on a day that Fred had like 20 other appointments. So 
Uh, so Fred may very well have to come back on the show at some point in the dangerous in your future. And, uh, we fully flesh out more, uh, more aspects of Fred's career, but it was great uh, to be able to talk to him. And I think you will get a significantly more than wave top level view of his life and an awful lot of lessons learned and, and fun insight into the biz Without further ado, I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. I'm the Artistic Director at Veterans Repertory Theater, and this is The Savage Wonder of Fred Graver. Welcome to the show, Fred. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. I feel like this is formalizing what have been very casual conversations. And that's a little weird and bizarre. I feel like we just need to know, BS and just sit back and relax, you know? It's like, uh, yeah, it's like the audience is, is that person walking in going, what are you guys talking about? And then uh, we're just going to look very sheepish for a while and go, stuff. I know. <laughs> you? Uh, I, I, I feel like the need to, to in- interject pomp and circumstance into what would otherwise be just a very normal, natural start to the show. Um, no, this is, yeah. But listen, man, hey, thank, oh, thanks good. for being flexible, by the way, too. And thanks for, I know we had to move around to find like a, a great day, and I appreciate it. I was, I'm trying to get into the city to see more theater than I'm being invited uh-huh. to readings and whatnot. And uh, so I really appreciated that because I was like, eh, it's a nice to have, not a need to have. But yeah. I was like, yeah, Fred's up for it. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. And it's, I uh, saw, you know, something. as long as you're talking about theater, I saw something terrific last night. Um, mm. Uh, it's an older play uh, by uh, Stephen Adley Gurgis called Between Riverside and Crazy. I don't know if you've ever seen it. No. No. Um, I mean, I know Stephen Adley Gurgis, but uh, Gur- Gurgis, Gurgis? I think it's Gurgis. 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 Um, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, I know this is kind of funny to say, but um, it's just a really, really, really good play. Really? <laughs> and And it's funny. It's like, it's not like, Oh my God! It's like I never saw anything like this before, yeah. or or oh, you know, these, these are these are new voices I've never seen, or or yeah. like that, or or it was experimental. It was just really, really good. It it just pulled the audience in, and just it's got a couple of of twists and knockout punches where you just go, oh, oh my oh, God! <laughs> you know, yeah, you kind of because yeah. you forget about the fundamentals in theater. Sometimes I think I think the yeah. need to experiment. And push the bar, right? Sometimes you just forget, God damn, at the end of the day, boy, if you really just have those fundamentals down, you can put some twists yeah. in there, great dialogue. Where'd you see it? Where'd you see it at? At the Helen Hayes Theater. Okay. Which is a nice small theater. I mean, it's yeah. just a nice, nice. Yeah. Uh, and then the last thing I'll say, and then we can get to talk about other things, is uh, uh, it's one of those theaters that reminds you that, that in the 20s and 30s when these theaters were built, people were much smaller. <laughs> you, you get in these chairs and you're just like you've got your knees up yeah. around your chin yeah and and it's just like wow how big were people back then i'm glad you said that because you know <laughs> that twice in the past week in my gallivanting through the city and seeing different things my knees have been aching like nobody's yeah. business because they're just up at my throat and i'm like god is it my knees am i getting inflexible but i'm like yeah it's the seats there's no leg room and and you're you're sitting there like resting your chin on your knees. Anyway, yeah. yeah. It's anyway, freaking brutal. So, um, but, um, are, 
Well, listen, let, let's let's talk you then. How about that? Yeah, without tipping anything off to the audience, yeah. I, I do you want to talk about the want place? to say that, right, right. You and I just finished going through the process of judging uh, long and short plays for uh, Vet Rep. And uh, it was a great crop of plays. Yeah, uh, you know, the, yeah. I think the most heartening thing, and this is this goes to kind of like what you do and what your podcast mm-hmm. is, is you've got these people who have just picked up a pen and and are clearly writing all the time. Yeah, creating you know multiple. It's it's not just somebody who kind of goes in and goes, oh, I'll try this and wrote a play and handed it in. These are people who are honing their craft and getting better and better and better. Um, and and for no good great. reason, for no good reason. Right. I look at that and I go, you guys are going into an industry that, that you will not make any money in. That's brutal to make money in. And, and I say that with an eye towards us trying to help them shorten that pipeline and condense that pipeline so that they can make money and it can be a career mm-hmm. and it can be something where they get into. Yeah. And no, and listen, I, I deeply obviously appreciate you coming on as, not just any judge, but as the chief judge, as yeah, the grand yeah, poobah, was- making executive decisions and marshalling your 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 assets in various directions, yeah. it, there, it had been a lot. Were, there were far, I yeah, it was in it, it was you you were you were kind enough to ask me in this, and and there were terrific judges who were incredibly uh, accomplished and well qualified, and and uh, I was yeah, I was just the referee. There, there is something to be said. You know, I'll tell you one of the discussions we had at the office. I don't know if I've told you this before, but this, being that all the judges this go around were writers, made it remarkably easy in almost every aspect. Uh-huh. You know, it's just everybody was efficient. Everybody's very comfortable reading, very comfortable writing, very comfortable yeah. thinking analytically, giving it some critical thought, and that everybody goes off knew, a long way. Everybody knew. Yeah, everybody knew exactly how to give notes because everybody has been given them, including one judge who will go unnamed, who, when I said, gee, you know, have you got notes? Can you share them with me? And he just was kind of like, I fucking hate to get notes. Why would I give you notes? Who They're going to look at you. They're going to look at us and go, who the fuck are you? And I'm just like, oh, okay. You, you just you tell me what you thought. I'll write it down. Hey, what what surprised you the most in reading it? Was it the dialogue? Was it the structure? Was it the general concepts? What did you expect, um, and what was the most pleasant surprise? The most, what I expected, um, again, without opening one of them, yeah. I expected uh, talky. <laughs> I expected, you know, uh, talky, too much dialogue, uh, too much uh, exposition. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry. I was just, it's a terrible thing. Um, and then I, I also expected, uh, I expected autobiographical, mm. uh, but more explicitly autobiographical than we saw. Interesting. What, what surprised me first thing right off the bat was the, uh, writing that was aware of how this, these plays would be staged. So the best of the plays had terrific notes in them about this is this is 
what the stage will look like. This is where the players will be. Um, you know, one of the things I, I, what I, one of the people I worked with in my career was Norman Lear. Right. And Norman used to always look at the writers because writers live in their heads. Right. And so we've got two characters talking to each other and they're, they're right front and center in wherever the fog is in your brain. <laughs> and Norman would go, what is the audience seeing? What's on the screen right now? Or what's on the stage, right? Because the audience is looking. Who's standing in front? Who's standing in back? You know, is somebody sitting? Is somebody standing? You know, and these plays had a very, very, very good sense of that, of, of how, how they would look. I thought that was terrific. They were not talking. Um, there was a few that had, uh, a little too much exposition and a few that had like real, real kind of like, well, I'm going down to the road and I better not meet Jim there because things are going to go badly. (laughs) Um, but you know, what the heck, um, even really good writers will write that on a, on a, on a, you know, (laughs) sea level day. Um, so, uh. I was really surprised. And then finally, you know, so I will talk about this in a second, but I've done a bunch of work with veterans, wounded warriors and caretakers. Um, And we have these workshops with the Writers Guild. And the thing we say right off the bat is you don't need to write about your experiences in the war. You don't need to write about being a veteran. And yeah, we've had people come in and they literally wanted to write one woman literally just wanted to write a romance novel. Yeah. And so, you know, and there was that's a, not uncommon, by the way, that genre uh-huh. is very, I've talked to more people who I can't name who have been like, I really want to write romance. And, and it's yeah. crazy that there's a lot of unrequited repressed stuff. I think that makes people want to write that. Also, at least they're initially. fun to write, right? They're fun yeah. to write because they're, they're very melodramatic and, um, uh, uh, yeah, I, I worked my first job. I worked in as a, uh, uh, managing editor in a, uh, a paperback house. And they, so they called those novels bodice rippers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because on the cover, every time there was like, cleavage, you know, zip. Yeah, yeah. A lot of cleavage and a lot of guys who looked like, because they actually were Fabio. Right. Fabio was right. the most popular model for, I can't really, I, I'm just remembering that anyway. Um, Really, really good stuff in terms of what they were writing about, right? They're, they're um, you know, they're writing about the, the, the ecosystem. They were writing about politics. They were writing about families that are keeping secrets, um, all of that. So, you know, all writers are writing autobiographically. You can't sure. hide it. Sure. But but um, they were doing a great job. It was it was it was very exciting. It was really fun. How did it compare to the work that you have been? Because you have been around the veteran writing community for quite some time with the Writers Guild. How did it compare to that? Did you feel like the writing was mature? Like the writers have yeah. put in their hours? Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, and and the hardest, so, so, so I'll describe this. The Writers Guild Initiative, which was founded some 10 years ago or so, 10 or 12 years ago, the idea was for a group of writers to work with, uh, uh, originally it was a group of veterans, um, and uh, you would do one weekend where everybody get together on Friday night, shake hands, say hi, have a few drinks. Saturday morning, you'd go in 
you'd find out who people are, what they were interested in. You do a lot of exercises Saturday. And then Sunday, you'd kind of start to say, okay, well, what are you thinking of writing? Right. And you'd take some cracks at it. People would start a lot of reading in the group, a lot of sharing. Um, and then there was kind of an agreement of, okay, you're going to come back in three months or four months. We're all going to get together again and you're going to bring some work back. Right. Uh, and we had Facebook groups and things like that so that if people wanted to chime in and get some support, they could do that. Um, and did you guys dictate the medium or could it be any, could it be novels? Could it be screenplays? Anything, whatever, okay. Okay. whatever they wanted to write. Yeah. Cause these were people who, uh, for the most part had never really written before. Okay. And so really the way I would start every Saturday morning literally was lists. I would say, make a list of 10 women, you know, who are mothers, make a list of five cars from your, your, your life. Now let's think about those cars, right? Or think about those women or think about one of those women in a car with you. Where are you going? Where is it going to go? And so you're basically just kind of, you're trying to just get them to loosen up, right? And just like, right, right stream of consciousness. You've got five minutes. You've got 10 minutes. Um, by the time they get to Saturday or Sunday, they're like, oh, okay, I can, I can throw a lot of rote words on the paper. And I've been reading them out loud. And sometimes it made people laugh. And sometimes it made yeah. people, you know, sad. And, okay, I'm going to try this. And you'd play, you'd work on that all day Sunday. Um, was the list the just to generate pen to paper? Or was it to come yeah, up with characters yeah. and setting and all that? Well, so, right. So we, the, the mother one works every time. <laughs> yeah. List 10 women. And by the way, I've stolen all of these exercises uh, from from the cartoonist Linda Berry, who wrote an amazing book called What is the What, I believe. And she's been teaching people, uh, and again, like underserved populations, you know, homeless mm -hmm. people or or people in, you know, uh, 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 you know, like prison, getting their high school GED. Things like that. She's been mm -hmm. teaching them how to write. Right. And so these are brilliant books. Um, and that's what she says. So you, you have an art uh, uh, thing. List 10 women, you know, who are mothers. OK, now. OK, so you got like two minutes. Then it's OK. Now you've got like two minutes. Choose two who don't know each other. Who are going to meet, figure out a place where they would meet and then figure out one of them wants something and the other one doesn't want them to have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah right yeah. and that's all don't don't write anything else just that now you've got one page to get one of them to win right and just out of that they'll 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 start to go like oh oh you know and then, and then the group they'll read them and the group will kind of go like oh you could have done it this way or hey did you think about that or, or just i really like that right Sometimes yeah. that's all you get. What's the what's the mechanism of the reading? Is it are, are people? Is it just silent reading, like you hand it out, or is it somebody actually? No, reads no, they it out read loud? it out loud. Okay, they read it out loud. Yeah, which mm. is the hardest, right? But it, yeah. but it does does better. Um, so mm. anyway, the trick is after the weekend, and everybody has their own techniques. Every so you have two mentors, you have like eight people in the room. Uh, the hard part to, to get to kind of your question. 
is how many people are going to come back in three months or four months yeah. with something they've written, right? So, so rule number one is doesn't matter if you've written, you can come back, right? Because uh, we'd have five people coming back out of forty if you said, right, right, you know, right? Because they're they're busy, they've got yeah. lives, sure, right? And and the hardest thing to do is carve out time to write. It it really you can carve out time to exercise. Nobody's going to say anything bad about you. You can carve out time to go build ships in a bottle. People go like, oh, you know, Jesse's right. got a hobby. Right. But right. if you say to people, I need a couple of hours to write, and it's like, oh, Mr. Hoity Toity Fancy, look at you, Mr. Writer Man. You know. You think it that's just, it? Do you it think feels, it's a shame thing? I think it's the height of vanity. Yeah. It, 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 it yeah. feels like the height of vanity to say, and, and and this this is coming from a guy whose father, when I announced, I announced at a very young age, I wanted to be a writer. And uh, I must have been like nine or ten. I can remember being ten years old and 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 writing stuff. Um, and my father would every once in a while. And at first, I thought it was funny. And then in hindsight, I'm like, oh, maybe it wasn't so funny. <laughs> um, he would just come up to me and go, "Hey, hey, Freddie, Freddie, you got a pen?" And and if I didn't have one, he'd be like, "Oh, Mister Writer Man, what if you have an idea?" <laughs> It's actually and, really good advice. That's true. Yeah. It was well. Look to this day. Look, to this day, I do not go out of the house without a pen and 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 something in my pocket. Yeah. Um, was he encouraging so of your writing? He was encouraging in the way that. So my dad, uh, 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 World War II veteran, which we'll get into in a second. Um, oh, let me let me finish. So people will come back. We'll, oh, yeah, come back. yeah. People will come back. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe they'll have written. Maybe they won't have. That second weekend is kind of interesting. Anybody who has written, uh, the, 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 the hook's in their mouth. Now, nah, you've got them. And if we can just keep them going. Uh, people who decide, and then there'll be a few people who go like, I really should have done that. Maybe they jump into something mm-hmm. and they, they start writing. Um, so then there'd be a group of people who, Generally, what we were doing, and this is all pre-COVID, was we would come back again to the same locations. We'd go to San Antonio. There were places in Colorado we'd go to. There's places in upstate New York. We'd do some of these workshops in New York City, and people would come in. Uh, and you'd come back the next year, and there'd be repeats. And then if people had repeated two or three times, we started. then we actually started doing Zoom classes. And it was kind of our graduate school. Okay. And and that one got a little more intense um, because we met monthly and the people were there to write. They were there to come in with work, yeah. read it to other people, hear what people had to say. Um, we got a couple of books out of that. Um, we've gotten people who uh, there was a group of them who spoke at the Kennedy Center once. Wow. Um, uh, uh, yeah, it's, and and even and then there's a couple of people who I could just say no, the writing just really helped them, you know, helped them the process of getting their lives together. And you, um, are, when you pitch this to them, when they initially show up, was it pitched as therapeutic, or was it pitched no, as, hey, we, if funny. you're interested in this as a career? Or? Yeah, 
It, okay. um, no, it was just, do you want to tell your story? And we were adamant about not being therapists. And we had one, we always had one person there in the background who was trained because sometimes people would melt down, have a hard sure. time. Sure. Uh, and, uh, but it was not, there was no promises. There were no promises. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And was that easy for the veterans to understand or were they? Were, yep. It was, they were happy. They were they happy, happy with no it? promises. Okay. Yeah. You're okay. just going to go, you know, you're just going to go have a good time. Did they think yeah. the other way? Did they get delusions of grandeur and think, hey, there, I'm, this is promise, like there's the potential for big commercial success here and this is my big money making scheme? Okay. Yeah. No. That's no. Good. Yeah. Um, and by the way, you've got a bunch of working writers in the room. Uh, we will, we will disabuse you of any notions of making a fortune. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What was the most uh, prominent medium that you saw? Were people writing novels mostly, or what oh, did you see? Um, mem- essays. Okay. Uh, uh, short stories, memoirs that were very episodic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, once in a while, uh, just scenes, scenes from a play or scenes from a mm-hmm. play, something in progress. Um, there were a couple of children's books. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. One in particular, the guy self-published. Uh, my daddy has a boo boo, <laughs> and it's an older sister. It, they're all rabbits, but there's older sister and younger sister, and daddy sometimes flies off the handle, or daddy sometimes is very very sad, or daddy sometimes has to sit by himself, and we all have to be quiet. And it explained beautifully. Uh. uh what that was like from a child's point of view. Yeah. Why did you, why did you get involved with WGI? Yeah. What was your so, path so, to doing that? so it is all about my dad. Um, and as you like, so, um, my father was, my father was supportive of my writing in as much as he understood being a guy from the South side of Chicago, who was a meat packer. Um, that somebody could make their living as a writer. Um, it just, and, and it's funny when I first came to New York, I used to think there's two kinds of people in the world. Uh, people who grew up in LA and New York, whose parents told them they were brilliant artists and they were going to make a great career. And people who grew up in the rest of the world where their parents said, I know, but how are you going to make a living? (laughs) And, and my father's, like was just like you should go to law school why you you know right don't and it was kind of like i said well go work for newspapers and he was kind of like no you should no nobody that's not good like you're not going to make a living right newspapers you're not gonna you should go to he was adamant about my going to law school um uh which i clearly didn't (laughs) uh uh but that idea of the depression proof job right Something that yeah. was going to weather the storm. That's right. But, yeah. That's that's right. That's right. Um, and so he uh, he saw some of my kind of making it. I when he passed away, and we'll talk about this in a second. But when he passed away, I was working uh, in a publishing house, uh, and I was writing on the side, and I was actually 
uh, starting to talk to uh, the National Lampoon about going to work for them. Uh, now, now, you know, my mother and father pick up a copy of the National Lampoon to see where I'm going, and they see the photo funnies where the guys are, you know, posing with the half naked girls and stuff. And he he thought pretty much I was going to become a pornographer. I think <laughs> he thought. But he was no. like, he was like, really? He really was kind of like he he never gave up the quest to have me like do something serious with my life. Um and I I tried to explain to I think two things. One, no, people actually do make a living if they're kind of yeah. good at this. Yeah. And I'm kind of good at it. I think I'm really kind of good at it. So um, I think I'll be fine, but I think it was just, you know, you just think about, you know, I, I, I think about my, the, 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 you know, my family back in Chicago and where they all ended up. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a complete fluke that, that any of us ended up, you know, going into show business. Did others, did other gravers go into show business? No, <laughs> no, no, we have, no, they're like. There, there. There's one. Let's see. There, there's one. In, there's a couple in finance. There's a couple of uh, uh, salesmen. There's a couple of people who work for like John Deere. Uh, one cousin. I have one cousin who has worked. Uh, worked for the airlines as like a baggage okay. guy for years. I mean, it was just you know, yeah, middle class working right. ethic, working stiff. This is who we are. Yeah. So were you the black sheep or were you the prodigy? Were you like, oh my lord, look at Fred. He really is something I would else. Say I, the, I would say I was the black swan. Okay. Like, okay. <laughs> I was entertaining. And uh uh yeah, the, the, me, yeah. Yeah, I was and then probably yeah, probably the big moment was I was working for David Letterman and and we did a week of shows in Chicago. And all of a sudden, my family's like, oh, oh, that's what he does. <laughs> was your dad around then? Did your dad get to see no, that? No, unfortunately not. No. Yeah. But I mean, so so I'll, if, I'm in your, if I was in your shoes, I'd be like, how do I bring this up? So I'll bring it up. Um, <laughs> part of the reason, a big part of the reason I do this for the Writers Guild um, with veterans is my father, my father had very, very serious injuries. From World War II, he was uh, in the medical corps, and uh, this is interesting. It was it was still a time in warfare where. Uh, oh, by the way, we're talking about now. We're talking about like it's five or six weeks before the end of the war. My dad is with a, a platoon or division that's moving their way up through France, and. There's battles every day, and there was, I guess, still a time when they would stop shooting for a while to go clean the wounded off the field. It's kind of hard to think about that, but but it, it certainly you heard about it in World War One, but it also yeah. was in World War Two. Yeah, and so my father is going and cleaning up, uh, pulling a body out, helping somebody, and he's bent over, and uh, a, a German uh, fires a mortar that goes off some thirty yards or so from my father and it just does enormous damage to his his uh, he lost both heels he was covered with shrapnel all the way up and down the backs of his legs um and uh 
the German gets up. He sees what he's done. My father's got like, you know, the big old red cross on his sleeve. He picks my father up and walks him across the battlefield and surrenders. Now, now everybody hears that story goes like, oh, oh my God. Here's my <clears> father's <throat> take. Here's my father's take. It's like the last six the weeks of the war. He knows where it's going. <laughs> he's got to he's got to tick it out. <laughs> and I mean, do you, I, I, I can't. That makes so much he's sense gonna, in such a he's cynical way. Trade me. It's he's cover for action. Me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's um, like, dude, you could you couldn't have shot a bullet and just maybe dinged your dad instead of shooting the mortar. Like you couldn't have done something simpler. Yeah. You had to. You had to go yeah. big. Yeah. And but he had, he had these go ahead, he had these horrible injuries. Yeah. And yeah. uh they he was spent almost a year in the veterans hospitals because they were like, Well, we're gonna have to amputate your legs. And he's like, No, you're not going to. And he went through whatever therapy and rehab. But he was he would have uh moments of of, of horrible pain when pretty like when the atmosphere would change or the weather would change, or sometimes it just came over him. And uh, at one point, uh, this is how a friend of his, who also had terrible injuries, uh, described it to me after my father passed away. And he said, we've talked about this. There were days where you just blacked out. You just didn't know who you were or what was going on. And I, he said, I think your father had one of those days where the pain was just so bad that you just, who knows? So, so he, yeah, he, 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 he killed himself. Um, and I really do think it was because of those injuries, you know? Yeah. I, I don't want to, I don't want to play armchair psychiatrist, but I, I got to ask, what was that like for you growing up in that house? Did it make you, you know, sprint from like, man, I don't want my life to be anything like that. Or did you find it, you know, uh, you know, wow, what a, what a story and, and. He sacrificed oh. so much for World War II. Like, what did that make you? How did that make an impact on so, you? So that the the second part, the 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 pride was yeah. was very, very real. And again, another one of the reasons why I am active with with veterans is uh, our our country, our culture has robbed everyone after from Vietnam on has robbed everyone of feeling any kind of pride. Uh, mm -hmm. That kind of, there is a generational sense of the men around, around the men who fought World War II, that they had saved the world. And uh, so, so there was an enormous amount of pride. Um, I knew there were days that he was kind of suffering. Um, and uh, weirdly enough, I do think that's part of where my sense of humor comes from, because you could always kind of, you know, sit down at dinner and you knew he was kind of hurting. And you, I'd find a way to make him laugh. I just find a way to kind of lighten up the room. Um, you know, so that was a thing. <laughs> was it a funny yeah. household? Did, was it, was no. it a complex joke? No. Okay. All right. So you were the comedian. You really were. You were the one yeah, yeah, bringing yeah. it to the yeah, table. The, as they say, I'm the, I was the tumbler. Yeah. Oh. Um, and it was that way for my, I had a very ex, a large extended family. My father had um, uh, a couple of sisters and my mother had three sisters. 
we had lots and lots of cousins and it was, yeah, that was, it was, it was, a. Uh, I was the kid who put on shows with my cousins. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's a curse. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a sense of duty too. I mean, that makes sense. You're, you're like, this is the sandbag I got to fill. I got to lighten the room. I got to bring well, some levity to this. There really was, you know, it's, it, yeah. Yeah. He never, I mean, this is a thing, right? And I know from other people who are my age, who's, whose fathers fought in World War II or even in Korea, um, they don't talk about it. Yeah. Right. And um, I know now from having read so much about it and read so much about even accounts of, of, of people who were in Vietnam or were in, Afghanistan or Iraq, you know, uh, the World War II generation did, with with few exceptions, had nobody standing up and going, this is exactly what it was like. This is what we found, right? You had, I think, books like The Thin Red Line had that in it. Um, Naked and the Dead had some of that in it. Sure. Um, for me, it wasn't until I read like Slaughterhouse Five, and yeah. I suddenly began to think about, particularly the whole idea that you're all babies, you're all children. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, so, so, you know, but, but yeah, there was also that sense, though, and that's a great point that you bring up about the sense of pride. There, do you think there was also a sense that you didn't need to tell your story because there was. A little bit more, for lack of a better word, reverence around your yeah. service in a way that was like people weren't as angst ridden. They didn't maybe necessarily feel like they needed to tell if, what had happened as much. If you didn't. It was it. You know how how you know how sometimes you see somebody and they've been through something and you just look at them and you go, "I know," right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like the yeah. whole country had their arms open and they went, "I know, I know." Come here, let me give you yeah. a hug. Yeah, thank you. I know Um, where you don't get, again, you don't get that today. And it's just, uh, that's just, it just bothers the hell out of me. And, and, you know, as you might suspect uh, being somebody who's, you know, in show business and lives on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, you know, I have a lot of liberal friends and we'll talk about this stuff. And I, I have to keep saying, put your politics aside. Right. Because, yeah, I don't care. I don't care what you thought about the war or what you think about the war. I don't care if you're a pacifist. Um, You live in this country and we make a deal. We make a deal with these guys and these women. And that deal is you're going to go over. You're going to do some fucking shit that nobody else wants to do. Um, And when you come back. Uh, we're going to be grateful. And I think we're really, really, we're really bad about that second part of the deal. And we can talk, I mean, the stories that I've heard over time, uh, just uh, well, one of the things, by the way, if you're looking for for something to get veterans to write about, mm-hmm. is you just say, um, okay, next next assignment is uh, a, call, a call with the VA. No. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. I said that one time and one guy just literally it was time for him to read and he just started singing hold music. 
That's fucking funny. It's like da 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 da. Oh my god! <laughs> I'll tell you. I mean, that's right. One of the one of the funniest ten minute plays I read on the last competition that we held was a great. It was like Jean Paul Sartre wrote a piece about the VA. That's what the play read like to be. Yeah. It's just this existential yeah. angst of going through the VA. It was hilarious. Yeah. For you, when did you start writing then? If you knew by nine or 10 that you wanted to be a yeah. writer, what had you been doing before nine or 10 that made you make that decision? Uh, reading. Uh-huh. I, I, to this uh-huh. day, I, to this day, there are two things that make me really happy, reading and watching TV. <laughs> But I just read like crazy from the time I could read. And it was just like, um, I remember, I I don't know how this this is. I am, I was on my bike one day, and I'm going to guess I'm 10, 11 years old, around there. Um, And, I was, I remember thinking I was on my bike and I had just been reading for a very long time at home. And the way the bike riding on the bike felt, felt like I was still in the book. Right. Wow. You still got the author's head. You said, and I was like, wow, wow. That's something to be able to get in somebody's head like that. I, you know, I love that. And so I would start writing just like many writers, like really, really bad uh, action novels. Right. 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 Um, you know, uh, really, really bad. Uh, uh, I remember. And then I, I remember being in high school and all of my writing got very angsty. Right. It was totally. always like, you yeah. know, until I made a very good friend in, in, in high school who also he was a cartoonist. And the two of us began writing cartoons and comic books. And then I think the breakthrough for me, at least, so we had to write for the school literary magazine. And I only bring this up because I'm, I'm going to date myself here. Uh, just had my 50th high school reunion. And somebody brought the literary magazine and gave it to me. And he said, I don't know if you remember this, but there's four wow. pages in it that is a parody of TV Guide. And and just and that was yours. Programmed yeah, program description and, and my friend Rich. Program description after program description is just and then it got very it got very intricate. I know we had like we had a it was like Mr. Mr. Fa- Mr. Fa- Mr. Mr. Science's house. So it was basically, you know, Mr. Wizard. Mr. Scientist's house. Uh, Mr. Scientist teaches uh, Timmy and Annie how uh, metal conducts heat by handing them a pot of boiling water. And then three hours later on Medical Center, it's Timmy and Annie Annie show up with burns on their hands. (laughs) That's clever. That's clever as hell. So it held um, up. It held up all these years it later. Held up. I'm sitting there looking at it and going like, hey, you know, it, it, it was all downhill after this. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what, yeah. So at that point, what did you think? Did, were you, were you, as far as career went, were you like, I'm going to go into cartoons or was it you're just going to take anything available? I, I, I just thought I'm going to write. And, and so 
So I, I graduated from college. Again, I'm dating myself in 1976. And everybody in the world wanted to be Woodward and Bernstein, mm-hmm. right? So I'm like, right. I'm going to go work for newspapers, right? Right. But the problem is, is I did go work for newspapers and had a weekly meeting with the managing editor where he just said, I know in the third paragraph that, that because you get assignments like school board meeting. I was working for the South Bend Tribune oh. and uh, in Indiana. And he's like, I know you were bored, but you can't put jokes in the third paragraph of the <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Like, you can't. I feel it was the way I described, you know, people, uh, you know, yeah, the laconic but ever present, Mr. You know, and he's just like, no, you can't, you can't describe their personalities. That is Um, funny. That's a great, what a beat reporter to have. That really does liven up a local daily. What? um, And were you, was that common though? Were you already thinking that you were a comedic writer? And that, therefore, was, that was your no. Uh, the reason I tell you the story is, 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 is it, it just, it just, it was the only way to do it. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I remember my argument with him was, was just, just come on. It's why, why people, if they have to read about the school board meeting, then at least there'll be just a small word or two that makes them smile. You know, why not? I couldn't agree. Um, hey, and it's laconic. Just because it's laconic doesn't mean it's not factual. It's still, it's factual. Yeah, but I think, I, think, I think his other point, I'm not sure. I'm sure one of the things he was thinking is uh, half of our readership probably doesn't know what laconic is. Oh, well, there's, that's <laughs> yeah. always going to be a buzzkill. That's right. So, yeah. what, so anyway, what did you end up doing? So, so where'd you leave the paper to go do? Was that when National Lampoon came along? Yeah. So, well, my first job, I, I, I got here to New York. And literally, like, graduated, got in a car, drove to New York, had no fucking idea what I was up to. Um, really no idea. And so I could, thanks to my dad, uh, I could type 100 words a minute. And this was, again, we're talking 76, 77, and I could copy edit because I had uh, edit, copy edited yep. at the newspaper. Um, both talents, and my father insisted that I take typing. He's like, you know, when I was in okay. high school. So, so both of those talents made me employable. Um, (laughs) And so I worked, I worked for a publishing house, kind of retyping manuscripts and things like that, or copy editing, things like that. It was really dead end. It it was just, I think that's, I think that's Um, a mammoth line. Never admit you can type, right? Like you don't want to be the type because that's all you'll be able to do. There's just so much work work for it. Well, oddly enough, my father-in-law, who was also a World War II veteran, uh, would completely disagree with that. When they asked him at the at the draft board if he could type, he said yes, and they stationed him in Hawaii. <laughs> he was in Hawaii for all. Okay, of World there War II. you go. All right, depends uh, what is they're asking uh, for, I guess. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There yeah. is an upside. But so, so then, then I was at this publishing house. I was editing, you know, and re re working on manuscripts for uh, uh, this was in the funny days of trade paperbacks. Remember like mm. the, the preppy handbook, mm. things like that. And I was editing a couple of books that were being written by national lampoon editors and a job opened up literally to be a copy editor at the national lampoon. And they needed somebody who would not kill the joke. 
right? Somebody who understood yep. that there's a reason why this is misspelled or there's a reason why the punctuation is all wrong. Don't change the punctuation. Um, and so I got in there and then I said, oh, well, oh, can I pitch a couple of things? And then uh, it was a tough, it was a very, very hard environment. That was, was a tough environment. Competitive, they, very competitive. Not competitive, but demanding. So you would huh. go in with an idea. There'd be a bunch of guys, you know, you'd have an editorial meeting every week and you'd be sitting around and uh, you'd say, oh, I got this idea for this. And somebody would just go, that sucks. That's just stupid. <laughs> Next. <laughs> what, what was the internal logic of the bluntness? Was it that people were on deadlines and they couldn't do any foreplay? Was there was it... no internal logic. It was just okay. the, the culture. It was okay. just, fuck you, get out of my way. We got a magazine to get out. Now, I should, I should preface this by saying getting out the magazine meant... <laughs> So we'll start from, let's just say, Friday. There'll be a Friday where the magazine finally went to the printer. The next week was basically, here's your week. You come in around, yeah, I don't know, 10, 30, 11. Uh, everybody has a discussion about where we're going to have lunch. <laughs> then we go to have lunch. We drink. We come back. Uh, we take a nap and then somebody's heard about some parties and we go to some parties and you go to bed about one or two and you get up and it's rinse and, for a week. It's rinse and repeat. Unless you're like me and it takes you a really long time to come up with stuff. So you're like, you're working while everybody else is, is like, you know, you're just like, you, you got it. I get, I would get in at nine, you know, cause like, ah, I got to work on some stuff um, around week two. They'd be like, ah, I guess we should come up with some shit. Um, you'd come up with stuff. People would start writing. The art department would start screaming <laughs> because you would come up with something that was very elaborate. And you're like, oh, I'll finish it next week. No, no. <laughs> uh, the third, you know, the third and fourth week, you'd, you'd have to work. But, but um, it was pretty it, good. It was tempo. just what you yeah. would. It would just what you think, and and you know, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which was a big, and so then, you know, I, the the story. I'll, I'll jump ahead because it's it's two different work sure. cultures. Um, oh, when you went uh, to Letterman, you mean? So a friend of mine, or I, I started writing a lot of stuff with a guy named uh, Kevin Curran, who was my writing partner for many, many, many years. Kevin, uh, famously, uh, when we were at Letterman, walked in one day after we'd been there for four or five years and announced to me. Uh, I'm going to go work for this uh, cartoon show. Um, and I just went, the Sim what? And he goes, oh, it's called The Simpsons. And they had these things on it. I said, Jesus, Kevin, why? It's a cartoon show. <laughs> How so long true. will that last? I know. Um, uh, and I have friends on that show who've been there for like all 26 years. Of course. Years. Of course. Um, yeah. but, but so Kevin and I are hanging around at the Lampoon. And uh, a guy calls us up and he says, uh, uh, they're hiring at Letterman. I just had an interview. It went terribly. And we're like, what? So we tracked down. We had a baby agent. He couldn't have been more than 15 years old. <laughs> we had a guy at William Morris who was like, like just got out of the mailroom. And he got us in uh, to talk. To talk. We, we wrote a whole bunch of stuff. We handed it in. They read it there. 
uh, Dave read it, Meryl Marco, who at the time was the, the head writer. And <clears throat> we were told, if, if your interview with Dave lasts 10 minutes, that's a long time. So we walk in uh, with uh, a pair of, remember when they used to just sell shit on the sidewalk in New York City? Yeah. Yeah, you, sure. Right. It was all stolen. But and yeah. we, there was a guy who had stolen like a pair of walkie talkies, those walkie talkies that are like in, in plastic yeah. uh, in a shell from yeah. like Radio Shack. <clears throat> so uh, we bought a pair of walkie talkies to bring to Dave. And uh, we go in his office and he opens up the walkie talkies, puts the batteries in and we're all just talking. It, if there's a if there's a, a radio God. Um, it turns out the walkie-talkies somehow were on the same frequency as the taxis downstairs on Sixth Avenue. <laughs> it tastes like talking back and forth, and it just broke the ice. We were there for like forty-five, fifty minutes, just hanging out. Wait, was that common and, though uh, to buy to buy a gift like that and come in bearing gifts? Was it no, no? Was no, it a transparent was ploy? Just, was he like, hey, what a bunch of kiss asses, or was he thrilled and like? Kid in no, a candy just, store, like it was no, it there was no questions at all. It was kind of like just like the perfect. And later on, I told him, you know, we were going to bring you a salami. Um, and he and he was like, oh no, I got a problem with nitrites, so it, it was a good thing. <laughs> it was just, it was oddly enough, just the right thing to do. Wow. I mean, this weird, wow. and it literally was a guy on the street, and I was like, oh, let's find it, let's, let's bring him walkie talkies, that'll be fun. Um, yeah, that's it. So, yeah. so it was an, it was an immediate click with dave but the, what it was that, pretty what did that mean for you in the writer's room then did you did you and kevin move into like the monologue or did you were you what were you what did you find so yourselves doing it basically you'd get there and and uh like i said so that that was the you know i described the national lampoon yeah the, the the letterman it was very much there was a very solid awareness that um uh there's a very solid awareness that we work 42 weeks a year and you, you, you can't burn out. So there was a big board with a lot of ideas on it. And there was, some of them are scheduled. Some of them are on hold. Uh, and you would write to the board. You'd be like, oh, okay, tomorrow, this is coming up. Wednesday, this is coming up Friday. This is coming up. There were people who did monologue jokes. I would do monologue jokes in the morning just to hand some in. Um, and it was just a matter of like, just keep pitching in, keep trying to come up with stuff. Or if you haven't got, if it's not your idea, go help somebody else with theirs or whatever. So, so um, yeah, it, it, it was very, um, it was very collaborative and there was a little bit of competition just in the sense of like, you know, who's getting stuff on, but yeah. everybody had to get stuff on. You, you kind of, there wasn't any, and if, if and if you went a long period, I mean a really long period, thirteen yeah. weeks, whatever, with nothing on, they might have a little talk with you. Yeah, was it? I mean, I'm basing this mostly on Larry Sanders, but I mean, how how close is that? I mean, was it like that? Was there? Did you see the politics behind the show? Was there? A, was it a yeah. personality based business, or was it was it really about the funny? And that's why Letterman became Letterman, and that's why the show worked for so long. Um. So first thing. Uh, Gary Gary Shandling when he was doing Larry Sanders, right? So so I had written I it's funny I had written jokes for 
Gary uh, when he hosted the Grammys a couple of times. Oh, really? And this was before Larry Sanders. And he was like, no, I, I want to. I, wanna, I won't do it. I won't do it. <laughs> I was really looking forward uh, to that. I, I liked where that was going. I want to. Yeah. No, no, I'm not. I'm not I, like, I, I want to write a sitcom, but I don't want it to be a sitcom. Right. That was his whole thing. And the second thing is, and I may have failed the test because he did hire a bunch of Letterman writers. <laughs> and I think he pumped them for stories because there were things that we would see from time to time. The, the rip torn character was very much like Robert Morton. Mm. Uh, um, mm who I love, I love Robert Morton. He's, he's a, a really wonderful guy, but that kind of just like always trying to see the bright side, always schmoozing people, always just, you know, paper it over. Let's just get through this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, uh, it was all true. And then, uh, the, the, the politics of who's getting, who, not uh, which guests are going to get on. Right. And what's going to happen when they get on. Uh, all of that kind of like, oh, I hate them. or I don't like them. Or this is great. Why can't we have more of them? Uh, all of that was, was I think. But again, you by that time, with Larry Sanders, you, had, you already had you know, decades of Carson stories. Right. You had Dave. You had, and then you had the people who had tried to, you had Joan Rivers had tried to do this. You had Arsenio Hall. I mean, by now, by the time that came on, it was pretty much, um, you know, well, it was recognizable turf. Yeah. Yeah. How yeah. were you feeling on Letterman? Did you feel like you were, did you feel very much at home? Did you feel like you could be there yeah. for decades? Did you feel like, okay, well, this is good for right now, but uh, there's other places well, I want to so, get to? Yeah. So, Early on, you know, I was I was surrounded by Harvard boys, Harvard Lampoon boys. Um, I think one of the reasons I think Dave liked hiring me was I wasn't a Harvard boy. <laughs> um, there was, you know, yeah, there was a real working sensibility. Like like people mm -hmm. were there to work, and, yeah. and 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 you know, and they were there to be funny, and they were there to make the show as good as they could make it. Um, and. Uh, Personally, what happens, and I think this happens to a lot of writers, you go in, and if you're lucky, the ratio is is one idea in ten, right? You're just pitching, you pitch ten ideas and maybe wow. you want to get through, and you're like, yes, wow. right? Yeah. Um, and uh, at a certain point, it gets hard. And I know for me, I kind of felt like there was a day where it literally it it very much felt like uh, dropping the bucket into the well, and it just goes clink. <laughs> Interesting. And you're like, I, I don't know if I can keep in that, but that was eight years. So, sure. When you say the bucket dropping into the well and goes clink, is that in your head or is that based on the response you're getting when you're pitching? No, no, no. It was in my head. It was okay. in my head. Like, okay. like I, I just wasn't it was just how do i do this? i yeah. can't how do i huh i can't <laughs> and did that did um, that freak you out were you like holy shit that's never happened or were you like oh it's well, just no, time but, to move but on the other the other side of it and there's probably you know a little bit of chicken and the egg here um so we did about i want to say four or five years maybe longer into the show um we did a week in Los Angeles um, and we worked out at Carson's studio mm. and 
up until then, I would say we had no idea um, the impact that the show had on the public. We knew people lined up down in 30 Rock to see it. But it was this yeah. thing that we did that still felt like you tell people you worked for, for late night with Letterman and they, ah, it's on too late. I can't watch that. <laughs> um, and so we get to L.A. and it's the first day and there's a line at eight in the morning yeah. around the block to get into the show. And then there's agents. Agents start showing up and they're like yeah. hanging out with the writers. and so people like my friend Kevin and other people got approached and they got moved. And so I think part of the bucket hitting the bottom might be also, I was kind of ready. And and then in fairness to, to, to everybody, um, uh, I had also met Norman Lear and Norman Lear was going to be doing some work. And he's like, you should, yeah, I'd love if you came working for me. So I think all of that stuff happened at the same time. Did it feel yeah. like a continued ascension in your career or did it feel like a lateral yeah. move? Okay. All right. No, that felt like, yeah. Yeah. And what was yeah. it like working for Norman Lear? I mean, obviously he was already a legend so, at that point, but I mean. He was already a legend. Um, and uh, I worked on a bunch of different projects with him. One of which did get on the air. It was called Sunday Dinner. I don't think it lasted more than four or five episodes. Um, it just wasn't good, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> but he was, I mean, every minute with him was, was graduate school. I mean, it was just incredible. Um, and I did a bunch of stuff with him. I got to know, I, I'm still friendly with him. The other, I was in a Mexican, Mexican restaurant the other night, <laughs> the phone rings and it's Norman just saying hi, <laughs> he's a hundred years old and he's, and he's, uh, uh, and I, you know, yeah. And my joke was was like, at your age, I don't know what the version of pocket dialing is, <laughs> but I think you've done it. <laughs> no, I meant to call you. <laughs> Look, Fred, I know, I know you got to go, so I don't want to hold you up a ton. A but minutes, I, yeah. I, I do want to, yeah. I, I do want to ask though, just because you had that insight into Norman Lear, what's the what was the secret sauce for you as a writer working for him? What made him who he was? Why did he work so yeah. well in the medium? Um, so I think, I think he would say this, um, and I, and also I've read his, I've read his, his, his autobiography, which is mm. phenomenal. Um, you, all of us get born into a time and we have gifts and we have things that we can do and we have people that we have a road ahead of us right or we have a and his particular gift was uh he would say this from time to time if i'm feeling it the audience is feeling it mm. and he had an uncanny ability to again know not only what the audience was seeing but what it would do to them armed with the, the other side of it was this uh, uh, he had a mission. He had a purpose, right? And he really did believe in people. He does believe in people, and he does believe in in this country. 
right? There's another guy like he was, he was, yeah. he was a, yeah. a, an air bomber. He was, a, he, you know, in World War II. And uh, uh, there's one story that's kind of interesting. So he uh, made a movie in uh, a small town in Iowa in, I want to say, 1968, 1969, called Cold Turkey. Cold Turkey is a very funny comedy, if you ever see it, about a town that tries to quit smoking. And it stars Dick Van Dyke. uh, And Norman lived in this town for six weeks while they filmed the movie. And being Norman, he got to know everyone. So later on, he's making the pilot for all in the family. And the ABC, CBS executives are saying to him, they, uh, America won't go for this. Oh. And Norman goes, no, 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 no. I just, I just lived for six weeks in America. I know exactly <laughs> what they'll go for. And that was his, his whole thing. Like, I, I know when this, when the first, you know, the first sound you hear from Archie in all in the family is the toilet flushing. (laughs) And he was like, I know they'll like that. I know they'll get that. And I know where I need to go with them. So I I just think, yeah, Yeah. it's, it's, you don't, you don't get, you you don't get that kind of thing very often. And it was also, I think a time remember there's three networks. Yeah. There's three networks. Well, we all watch TV. We all watch the same shows. Right. And and he had an uncanny ability of saying, like, okay, I, I I'm I'm gonna it's a, it's a, almost like the the preach the preacher in the pulpit. And if you got your finger on the pulse better than everybody else, it's yeah, you know, yeah, they're gonna come. Yeah. For you, I want to jump since I know we're pushed on time, but I, I do wanna I can't let you go without asking about cheers and about John Stewart. Um at the bare at the very minimum. <laughs> yeah. Um but I mean just for that Am I right in even picking those as two noteworthy highlights? I, oh, sure. I, I mean, I feel like they, they can't help but be, but I'm like, maybe you look yeah. back and you go, eh, yeah, it was, it was something. No, 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 no. Both of those. Both of those. Um, yeah. Uh, but by the way, um, Kirstie Ellie was a hoot. <laughs> she was, you know, for whoever's going to be listening to the podcast, she, she just passed away a couple of days ago. And uh, she, um, so, so, so the great thing about Cheers, the 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 show was created by uh, uh, two writers who had worked for on Taxi. They had worked out after a couple of other shows. They they were they were top of the. They were just the, the Charles brothers were just, just sure. the best, and they were playwrights. And so the 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 the, the DNA of the show. Was that you are doing a pl- oh and the director James Burroughs his his father was a Burroughs who was Broadway legend yeah. right and so you were doing a half hour play in front of a live audience every week that was the experience and the cast took worked with your words right and if it wasn't working it wasn't working and you'd mm-hmm. fix it but but there was that kind of respect. And then you'd get somebody like 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 Kirstie or or uh, 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 you know, Frazier, um, Kelsey like Grammer, that, isn't it? Kelsey Grammer, sure. And you give them a line or give them 
or, or, or wait for a reaction for them or something. And you just see something that was just crazy and wonderful. And she was like, she, that's who she was. I was just like all of the stuff that wasn't on the page was kind of amazing from her. Um, yeah. When you started working for them, Cheers was already a success or was it? It, it was, was it just was, starting. It was ace. No, no. It was okay. a big success. And okay. in fact, I was there for like the last season and a half. Okay. Um, yeah. And it what was, was that like su- for you then? Did you feel well, like you were great. walking into it or did you feel like you could, you know, contribute a whole lot, you know, and um, rebuild? Well, yeah. Things? Cause we, you know, like everybody, I'd been watching every episode. Right. Yeah. And there was a lot of like, how do you reinvent this or how do you get through another season? Um, what was interesting for me is that the last five or six episodes, um, the original writers, the Charles brothers and, and, uh, David Lloyd and, uh, a uh, couple of other people, uh, Ken, Ken, Ken Levine and David Isaacs, like guys who had been there at the very, they came back and they wrote, I think like the last four episodes. Wow. Um, and we all just sat around in the, like around the side of the room, just going like, Oh, <laughs> oh. cause you'd go back, you know, you'd go back all the script, you'd have all the scripts in the files and you'd go back and you'd read like old episodes and just say like, Jesus, how do they do this? Yeah. Um, this is how old the show was. You go back and read the old episodes, and they were typed on paper. Yeah. They, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, revisions so, like on blue yeah. sheets. Would you put it in blue sheet revisions or something yeah. like that? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It was all. Yeah. So, what did that mean for you then when it ended? Did you know where um, you were going? Did you were you were you very comfortable moving yeah, on? So I, I went. I, yeah. Yeah. I okay. was. I was really lucky. I mean, so I went. I worked for. Um, Oh, here we go. We go back to this story again. So I went to work for Jim Brooks. Um, and they said, well, Jim's going to do a new series. It'll be a big new series. It'll be really great. Or you can kind of go work on The Simpson. <laughs> and I go, I want to work on the big new series, um, which didn't work. <laughs> um, and then right after that, like, it's it's writing for sitcoms. It's very, you know, financially it's very rewarding. And it's actually, there's nothing better than being in a writer's room. I mean, there really is. And, and, uh, um, but I got to the point where I felt like I can't spend my time thinking about a funny line for the goofy guy to say before he walks out the door. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I, John Stewart was just getting started and, uh, they brought me in for a little bit and that was great. He's, he's very serious. He's a yeah. very funny and very serious guy. And um, that show was very serious because this was not Daily Show. This was the John Stewart show on MTV. The John Stewart show that, right. that ran for about 13 weeks, 20 weeks on, yeah. on what would now be called the Paramount Network or the CW or whatever. Yeah. Um, it was crazy. It was, yeah, it was just what can we throw at the wall? And we were on at a terrible time. Our lead sponsor, this is how bad it was. It was syndicated, so you never knew what time it was going to be on. And right. our lead sponsor, I think, was Chewing Tobacco. There was a chewing tobacco company. Um, it was not a good idea. None of it was a good idea. And then, but but then he went on and did the Daily Show. So there, right? Yeah. And the John Stewart show, if I remember right, was topical a lot, wasn't it? It was like a lot of he really pushed content it. He really pushed it. Yeah, yeah. Because we did get to the point after after five or six weeks. We got to the point where just like all of us are looking at each other going, nobody's watching this. It's, and it was also like you'd find out it's on at two in the morning in 
in uh, uh, Madison, Wisconsin. It's on at at, at uh, 8.30 at night in Chicago on Channel 26, right? right? You're like, right. oh, Jesus. Yeah. What are we going to do? And yeah. so John was the one who said, like, well, um, you know, I'm going to have this guy on, and I'm going to talk to him for a half hour. Yeah. Who is the actor? I'll remember this in a second. He played, he played RoboCop. And he oh, also Peter, Peter Weller. Peter Weller. Peter Weller's yeah. awesome, right? And John was just like, I'm going to spend a half hour talking to Peter Weller about, like, beat poets. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. Peter Weller is awesome. I heard he's a professor now. He's like, he's, yeah, is he's he really? interesting. Yeah. yeah, he's an interesting Good guy. Um, yeah. Fred, anyway, well, yeah. So no, oh, sorry, before go we ahead. go, though, yeah, yeah. I really, I once again, just, just the everything you do, this stuff with, with, with veterans, the stuff you do in the podcast where you talk to them about how they create and how they find a, a, a path in is just terrific. It just, you should, you should be really proud of yourself. I, I, that means a lot. That means a lot coming from you. It really does. And I appreciate that. It's certainly been, it's been a blast. It's been a blast to do, and it's been a blast to have you want to talk about it. Yeah. This, I, can I just say, let's put a pin in this and to be continued because sure. I, yeah. I, I did not do you justice and we, I, I, there's no, 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 I'd no, love no. to can, talk about can, 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 is, this is, this is just audio, right? It's not video. It is. It's not video. I just want to point out that you're wearing a rush hoodie sweatshirt sweatshirt. <laughs> Best band of all yeah. time. Yep. My favorite band. But really? Absolutely. Really? Huge rush fan. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's Neil, Getty Lee, right? Yeah. No. And yeah, yep, Getty. Getty Lee and, and Neil died when I was in Afghanistan, which made oh. Afghanistan even worse for me. I was, I was like, ah, oh, I could have gone without that. But anyway, yeah. What? Okay. So we, the next time we talk, we're going to begin with, because uh, this is, I love music. I'm a huge music fan and I would love to talk about, about music and, and uh, uh, soldiers. So music and, and yeah. Yeah. Because um, it's fascinating to me. Um, it, it was something that came up very often when Beth would write. There was always people. Can I tell you one more story? I know we have Please, to go. Are you I, no, no, no. I, I think I have a. I think I have a big ending. <laughs> I got a, a final number. So one of those little exercises that that um, Linda Berry has in her book. Okay, now I want you to think about. A place, you in a place, you can be standing or sitting any time in your life, but but put yourself right there and describe to me what's above you, what's what you're seeing. Don't tell me where you are. What are you seeing above you? What are you seeing below you? To the right, to the left, what are you hearing? What are you feeling? It's a great exercise because you can't That's say where you are. a great exercise, yeah. So this one guy, uh, Brad, uh, Blue, blue, purple, blue. My mouth is filled with fluid. It's blue. Oh, my God, this smell. Oh, my God, I'd rather die than be doing this. And that it went on more graphically, but that was it. So it turns out, so he reads it and everything. Like, oh, what's that? Uh, he was uh, in, a, in, a, uh, a port, in a latrine uh, somewhere on the edge of uh, uh, his, his uh, uh, wherever the infantry was stationed uh, in Afghanistan and a mortar, right? So they, they, they were, you know, and the latrines yep. are away yep. from the rest of the field. So they boom, hit a mortar about 
whatever, 10 yards away from him, knocked the latrine over. He's covered with that blue oh, stuff God. and all that shit. Oh, and, 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 and the thing fell down on the door. <laughs> so he's oh, got to kind of roll the thing over. Um, and, and yeah, he goes, he goes, seriously, I would have much been, would have been much happier had I just died. <laughs> That's like a perverse um, war story version of that guy in Blazing Saddles when they tear down the latrine and he's covered all in the, you know, yeah. Shaving cream is like a yeah. worse version of that. Yeah. God, yeah. how freaking yeah. terrible. Yeah. I kept, oh, and Lord. it's funny. And then, and then I kept asking him, would he revive you? Could we do this gala every year where we have actors read? And I kept saying, Brad, would you rewrite that? It like, like fill it out a little bit. And he's like, no, nah, I don't want to go back there. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I did it once. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's, it, I know there is, there's a lot of meat left on the bone sometimes with that stuff. And I know it needs, yeah. it needs, it needs a producer. It needs somebody to come in and take it over and say, okay, we're going to give it to this guy to write and flesh out. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. of stuff like that. I know. Dude, this is great. Chris, Fred. Thank you. God, thank you what so a much. Pleasure, thank man. you for everything you do. It was fun. That was the savage wonder of Fred Graver. A little bit rushed at the end. Um, again, my fault for booking him on a time that I knew he had a hard, uh, a hard time hack that he was going to have to hit and, and bounce out. But I'm glad we could talk to Fred for as long as we did. And hey, it sets us up to maybe talk to him at length again in the future. Um, I mean, certainly I will, but in front of you guys is what I mean. Um, which also was is a real advantage. I like actually formally having him on the show. As I said up front when we were talking, it's like it frees me up to kind of ask him all the questions that I wouldn't ask him if we were just talking or bouncing ideas off him or anything like that. This was, uh, you know, I got to pry and that, um, that was fun. Okay. This is the last episode that is coming out before the holiday season. So we will have episodes coming out during the holidays, but because traditionally listenership will drop off a little bit during the holidays, I want to make sure I'm capitalizing on the ears that we have right now and just say thank you guys. Um, this has been a wild first full calendar year of the show. Um, wild in good ways. We've had a lot of, a lot of peaks, um, in, in this path that have been really fun. A lot of interviews that really have stood out that I've really enjoyed having. Um, and hopefully you guys have enjoyed them as well. I think you have the numbers at least back me up on that. Um, and then we've had valleys, which have been mostly caused by my schedule where we've had to go dark, um, around the festival much longer than I wanted. Um, but I was smoked and the bandwidth was limited. So thank you guys for bearing with all that. And, um, our operating system is much better now to make sure that we don't have those, uh, gaps in publishing episodes and, and getting them out there to you guys. And, uh, and certainly thank you for the recommendations that have come. Thank you for the references, or sorry, referrals, I should say, that have come. Um, we really have enjoyed having everybody on the show. Um, to all of our guests, uh, it's just such a wildly diverse group of artists. Um, so many different media. So many different points of view. So many different... Um, the best way of saying this uh 
so many different positions in their career, whether they're just getting their first taste of success, first taste of fame or publicity, or whether they are established in the business like Fred. Um, it's just been fun to, to track the different trajectories of people. And as we often say at VetRep, you know, we are building a platform for veterans in the arts. And to get to know all of you guys, there are absolutely ulterior motives to us having guests on this show. And our ulterior motive is to meet you guys, um, really fall in love with your work, and, um, and you know, find opportunities to collaborate and uh, get you guys seen by more people. That's really it. And it's been a privilege uh, to have you guys on the show. And I really, I, and I, I am not just saying this as a rote kind of thank you. Uh, I mean it because it is a long form show and we're not doing a quick 15 minute hit. Um, you know, it is something that requires some stamina to get through. And uh, yeah, for everybody that's been able to come on and share their time and their experiences with us, it's meant an awful lot. I hope it's meant a lot to our guests as well. You know, we always talk about the fact that we're not here to help veterans. We're here to help audiences. And that's true. Um, but I definitely uh, hope that we're helping the veterans that come on this show um, you know, give and give them a forum to talk. Because sometimes even if you, talking isn't your medium, I think it's nice to just kind of unburden yourself. And, uh, you know, most people's favorite subject is themselves. So it's nice to give people that chance to talk about their path. And I hope that you guys listening have been inspired by the folks that you've heard. And whether or not you're a veteran, I hope you're doing something to process whatever your life has entailed. And um, obviously, we highly recommend an artistic endeavor is a great way to unpack those experiences. And I'll say this, I'm going to go on a little bit of a stem winder because, you know, it's the end of the episode and Fred and I ran short. And uh, if you're still listening at this point, uh, you must just like the sound of my voice. So I'm just going to capitalize on that and uh, drone on here for a second. You know, we've talked, I've talked on this show before about the fact that we really don't we're not trying to turn swords into paintbrushes at VetRep or on this podcast. We're not trying to say that the path you've been walking down, the warrior path you've been walking down is wrong. And I say that because it's frequently people, especially people that aren't that familiar with us, immediately assume that's what we're saying. And many of them encouragingly so. They think that's a great thing. I fundamentally disagree with that. Um, I think it's really important to have some degree of dirt under your nails if you're going to go into the arts. And far too few artists, I think, do. And I think that leads to, this is just my taste, I think that can lead to a very superficial artistic endeavor. Not always, certainly. Uh, I think it was Olympia Dukakis, the actress, who, who uh, famously said that you have everything at eight years old, you've you've lived through every trauma necessary to be able to be a great actor. And she's probably right. That said, I do think your imagination needs more fuel sometimes for many of us. And life and life experiences, um, especially away from the arts, often can give that because you need that. You need to appreciate it and you need to 
kind of salivate for the opportunity to express yourself and a little repression, a little discipline, um, and a little, for lack of a better phrase, selfless service, I think some goes a long way. So certainly to those that do join the military or law enforcement, fire, EMS, et cetera, et cetera, and become part of the profession of arms, I think certainly have that. Um, I'm, I've often said, I think probably even on this show, that possibly apocryphal, but I think it's true, I think I read it somewhere, uh, interview with Wolfgang Peterson, the director of Perfect Storm and Million Dots Boot and a bunch of other things, um, where he said, uh, where he was talking to some film school students, and he said, you guys really shouldn't be in film school. If you really want to be great directors, go work in a prison. You know, Then you'll see drama. Then you'll see conflict. Then you'll really understand human beings and motivations and all this stuff. And again, I think a very valuable kernel at the core of what he's saying. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily great advice for everybody, but I, I think there's absolutely some truth at the core of what he's talking about. And I think it is important to get some dirt under your nails. And if that dirt under your nails is a 20-year career in the military or more, or if it's you know uh, an abbreviated enlistment, or if it's some time spent you know, in a life or death business like firefighting or what have you, um, you know, whatever it is, I, I think that's stuff that you can draw on. And it depends on you, really. It depends how sensitive you are, how much you need to process, how many other factors are going on in your life. But um, those are really important, valuable things. So, you know, I think it's important. So I, this is all a very long uh, way of saying that I think Art is a necessary complement to your life. It doesn't need to have been your primary focus from inception, from birth. You know, it you can have lived you can live lived other lives and traveled them fully before shifting to art. And I, I think there's not only no shame in it, there's a ton of value that that brings and certainly to those that were in life and death professions that's what we honor the most and um i think that is important i think it's a great pipeline for artists it doesn't make you a great artist i think you either have that ability or you don't but it certainly gives you a lot of ammunition and if you are a great artist or even a good artist i think your work will be much richer i think it will take you to the upper levels of your capabilities just for the life you've lived. Does that make sense? Am I making sense or am I droning on? Anyway, I uh, said it's the end of the episode, guys. You can click off anytime you want. <laughs> but on that note, uh, I'll leave it there and just say Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year. If we don't, if you're not able to listen to us again until the new year. Uh, if not, we'll have episodes for you guys coming out um, during the holidays as well. But I hope everybody has a great one. We look forward to you guys listening. And guys, uh, tell your friends about the show. Yeah, I've never really said that, but you know, word of mouth is great. And please feel free to you know repost, uh, give us likes and follows and shares and all that. Um, you know, uh, the the guy, folks we talk to deserve an increasingly growing audience, and I'm glad it's grown since last year, but we'd love it to continue to grow more and more and more. Okay, I need to thank our producer, Mike Neal, 
who has produced all these from the beginning and, uh, and has done so sometimes at the last minute, sometimes with me throwing him curveballs, and he's handled them with grace and, and dignity and integrity and um, promptness, and I just really appreciate that. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. On behalf of everyone here at Veterans Repertory Theater, happy holidays. We'll see you next year or the next time for another Veterans Savage Wonder.